0: Okay, now I want to talk about margin in the context of our relationships. Because a relationship is a mutual giving to one another. It's like a mutual power exchange. It's a mutual shared space. And if two people have no overflow left to give one another, no margin, no open space on the dance floor, then two people can't have a relationship because there's nothing left to give to one another. We would often say you need to have two whole, complete people that are getting together before you can have a good relationship. So sharing margin is, in effect, like what creates relationships. Sharing your time, sharing your attention, your money, your creativity, sharing life. Now, let me tell you the depressing part about all of this first. We're all in this big power squabble. We're searching for more sunlight. We're really shallow. We're fighting for more power. And we look for places of margin to get it from because those are the least protected, easiest places to get it from. People will let go of it easier there. And uh, people will look for it from you. Uh, So people have an appetite to take some of your power away as much as that may offend you. If you have extra power, watch out. It's like putting a stake in front of a dog. People are going to ruthlessly go for it. You just ask somebody that's won the lottery, right? Or go check your mail and look at all of the things that are trying to get some of your margin. We need margin, and that's why we need boundaries around it, and it It's really funny whenever you think about it. Uh, Life's like this game where we're just all protecting sunlight. But when people get upset, it's because you're encroaching on their sunlight. And when you get upset, it's because somehow somebody's encroaching on yours. And so what I said in the motives episode is like what we get upset about is not actually whether or not they did a certain thing but what are their motives in doing it and we try to play this game where like oh are they just trying to take power from us and put it in their own power bank was this really just a selfish thing on their on their on their part on their behalf uh, judging people is a lot more efficient than trying to judge every single individual action we take so we'll label entire people with like Are they a threat to my power? Are they going to just try to take it? Well, yes. Yes, they are. (laughs) Every human on Earth has a bent to take power away from you. And if you don't know that deeply, it's because you haven't been betrayed by a close friend yet. Humans do that. Nobody exists to make you happy. They are. Are going to want your power, even your closest people. So we judge people based on whether or not they appear to be giving us at least as much power as we give them in return. And if we think that it's a net power gain, we'll really like somebody. If we think it may be a net power loss, we'll find a reason to not like them. So. Think about it like this. If we judge people to be bad based on their tendency to take power from us, the opposite side of this coin is also equally true and shallow. We'll judge people to be good based on whether or not they're going to give us some of their power. And we see this clearly. We do it all the time. We wonder how much margin do they have? Because, you, you know, you can't take away money that's been spent. You can't take away their time if it's already scheduled. You can't get more energy out of an exhausted mom at 11 p.m. So we look for people with extra time, margin, energy, health, life, connections. And we are a voracious species of margin predators. Yes, you and I. If there's somewhere, like, extra, we're going to find it and rush in to get it. Um, it it's like... Where, the body, where there's a body, the vultures will gather, you know, and that old saying. And so it is in any place you find margin in society, there are people running to claim and get some. And you kind of know this. You ever get the feeling everybody wants your time? Everybody wants your money? Everybody wants your energy? Well, like if you're a responsible person who has a lot of time, money, and energy... I'm sure you get that feeling because every time you go to check your mail, every fundraiser at school, what is every calendar request for your time, every ad on Twitter, somebody wants some of your margin, every billboard along the highway, every every advertisement that you see. And unfortunately, this is the norm for how we form relationships. So ask somebody about a person or business that they love, and they're likely to tell you a story about how they will always go out of their way for you. It's, uh, like go on Yelp. Listen to anybody give a review about a service provider. Right, An electrician was awesome because they went out of their way and they came after hours and they did exactly what I wanted them to and they didn't charge me extra. They gave their margin to me. I love that electrician. I feel so special. Or that doctor spent an hour with me and charged me a really cheap rate and did a really great job. Or that store let me open the product, use it, screw it up, and return it for a full refund. Right? Sometimes we sound so narcissistic. And sometimes we will solely judge others on how much margin they're willing to give us. Like, oh, that business really th- let me take advantage of them. Or we, we love that employee because she worked 20 extra hours last week. Oh, like she really let me val- violate some boundaries and didn't say anything about it, right? And we'll default to the least healthy people around often. So you think about how often uh, you, you hear people telling love stories? A group of girls gets together and all start discussing how romantic a guy was. He spent like three hours setting up this amazing dinner and he spent all this creative energy on this game we played and he set up candles and spent all his money taking me out to a river cruise and of course, the ultimate, he loved me because he spent a year and a half salary on this elaborate proposal and a giant gemstone. He had so much margin to give me, and all the girls are like, oh, how romantic, and it gives me chills, a guy with margin. Or, she was, you know, the guys, she was the best wife ever, because she completely feeds my ego, and she made me bacon and eggs this morning. She tells me that I'm awesome, and she lets me do whatever I want, and she never complains, and she works all day long to keep the house in order, and the kids at bay so I can watch sports, right? Or, that person is such a good listener, I can vent any time. Right, Listening is giving. And when you get a good listener, it's a good giver. It's a margin giver. And so sometimes we go through life only judging everybody else and everything else around by how much we can get from them. And we often get into relationships solely based on whether somebody is willing to give. And we are way too ignorant as to whether or not it's going to leave them healthy once they've given to us. And when you get into a long-term relationship, you will find out whether their giving to you is sustainable or not. We'll get the most we can out of others. Which is why, I like very symmetrical people, that's attractive people, right? Because attractiveness is just biological symmetry. It's why symmetrical people will marry the most symmetrical people they find. Where in very few of us are willing to marry somebody with noticeably less symmetry. You don't see a be- really beautiful person married to a really ugly person, right? You'll occasionally see us marry across class lines, but we we like to stick to our symmetry rules. And this is why we also have a bias towards people in power, because for them... Uh, like, if you are a multimillionaire, you have thousands of followers, you may have only a tiny fraction of margin of time or money left, but man, that fraction, if we could just snag just a little bit of that, if we could just kind of like get in good with you and possibly get you to give us some of your network, your time, your energy, your money, any of that is worth gold to us. And so we will give you what we call a benevolence bias. Okay, you've seen this a lot, and you know you do it too. You get an unknown average person in the room, and they may stand up and tell jokes, and we'll be like, oh, that was okay. But if you get somebody crazy famous in the room, we will hang on every word, right? Oh, did you hear what he said? That was so funny. That was so awesome, because we're programmed to give bias towards people that are cool and powerful and well known and famous. We're programmed to never want to miss an opportunity for power. Something like deep within us will know that, like, whenever we see somebody with a lot of power, that we're that close. Like, I shook their hand, I'm never going to wash it again, because we're attracted to power. And this is very important to know and admit and call out within us because it runs so much in our sub-psyche and it can seriously subvert justice in the world. I was recently at a conference where I was among the least powerful people in the room and there were some very powerful people there. There were people with thousands of followers so it's very much like a networking, elbow-rubbing atmosphere kind of in there and there's a lot of disparity. And so when I walked in, I met a lot of people. I re-met a lot of people that I knew them and they didn't know me. And it was because of the disparity between them. Well, of course, everybody knows that person because they're very well known. And so after getting about three or four of these, like, I don't know, have we ever met before? Your name is what? I kind of had to bite my tongue to keep me from saying, well, it's okay. You just don't remember me because I'm not very powerful but if you know like th- there's a really powerful person in the room and and somebody tells you like oh do you know who that is that's the ceo of so and so right and you're like oh oh wow that person owns that family foundation that person is worth millions and then you're going to be like oh and you will remember that person and see i was on the other end of that just this morning. I'm subbing at a school this week and I forgot a bunch of kids' names since yesterday as I always do. You you meet like a hundred kids and then you forget a bunch of them. And honestly, I could remember the loud ones, the more symmetrical kids, you know, the more intelligent ones. I remembered the white boy with blonde hair who probably is gonna coast easily through life because he's well-spoken and he's very clean and he's very presentable and then I forgot some and more often it would be like the quiet Hispanic girl who sits in the corner with her head down because we are attracted to at a very powerfully subconscious level to remember the people who have the most to offer and we can be on either side of that deal depending on what atmosphere we find ourselves in and then you gotta face it who is it easier to forgive person who lives at the apartments down the road who always need your power tools to fix their broken-down car and they chain smoke three packs a day or that multi-millionaire person who invites you to their swag little palace for their Super Bowl party every year Yeah, yeah see we'll forgive the people who have a lot because they may have something to offer us one day. And I, I see this all the time. We talk to church people out there, because I know some of you are listening. I see this all the time in church. We'll brag about how godly somebody is who is very wealthy. And y'all, that's cheap, and that is easy to brag about how godly a wealthy person is or a powerful person. And, and we have done it so much so to the point that I've been around church my whole life, and I don't know that I can name any church with an elder or leader from the lower class. It's always a businessman It's always somebody who has a certain amount of status or wealth or power in the community. And this is a serious bias issue that will seriously subvert justice and other people will see you doing it and will call you out on it. And so we should take it seriously to peer down inside of us and find out how much we are letting this bias control our own sense of justice and morality and decision making. That was free. So back to, we judge people based on how much power they have, and then we also judge people on their motives, but that's just a really friendly way of saying, how likely are they to give us some of their power? So it's really a kind of glossed over way of describing what we're actually doing. When you lay it out, we're just saying, we're judging people on whether or not they have margin to give power, or whether they are in the red and consistently taking power. And then we'll call those people like energy vampires. Other people that whenever you leave, you feel like somebody has breathed fresh air into you. You know people like this, and you're like a new person. You're like, oh, what was it about that person that I just really loved being around? I have some friends that are like some of the most friendly people that I've ever met in my life. They are so loved. They're just like, I just want to be at their house all the time and hang out with them all the time because they're the nicest people ever. And it's like, what is it about them? Well, one, they act really excited to see you all of them. It's like you walk in and they roll out the red carpet. Two, they listen. They always talk about you. They they never want to talk about themselves unless it's to to relate to a story that they just listen to. And they're really good at switching the conversation and making it about you. And of course, I'm like other people, (laughs) very much want to talk about myself and I'm drawn by that. And then I'll catch myself like, wait a minute, you just switched the conversation back to me again. And if you ask around everybody loves these people. Why? Because they just seem to be this never-ending fount of a joy and of a gift that you can drain from and drain from and drain from, and they are a source of power and life. But be careful, because they may not feel the same way in return. And you may think they do, because they're always wanting to talk about you, but that's a commentary on how strong of people they are. See, chances are, we have a lot of people that we think we are friends with, but they don't reciprocate it. There was one study that, uh, that was done in a, a business, business management class in a university that ranked uh, how good of friends you are with people, and they took all of these surveys of all the people in this little community, in this room, and they showed that lo- only 53% of our friends actually feel the same reciprocal level of friendship, which is quite humiliating whenever you think about half of your friends don't think that you're the same level of friend with them as you think they are with you right and so people are in a big power squabble now here's the real question are you okay with that can you be okay with people just wanting your power if not don't ever be a parent Or get married for that matter. I've heard people say, oh, I just want to have a baby because I want somebody to love me. Really? Really? That's not what a baby's going to (laughs) do. Don't go there. People in your own family need to be sacrificed for. Are you ready to sacrifice some of your power for the other person? Now, realize I'm not saying, are you ready to sacrifice your power for a relationship? Because that's still selfish, and that's the part you get out of it. I said, sacrifice your power for the other person. You may never get it back. And if you can't be okay with losing power and and having to move left on that that spectrum, the survive, thrive, dominate spectrum, where we're constantly driven to move to the right, if you can't be okay with losing, you might not have the ability to hang on to a relationship? Do you have any power to sacrifice without it cutting into your humanity and your self-worth? That's the margin you need. So healthy relationships are going to exist in that space where you can give to each other out of your excess. Unhealthy relationships are where you're running in the red and you're stealing from each other. I've heard it I've heard it described as like a long-term strangling that takes place over 30 years from one another. And some of you feel that way right now in your marriages. Some of us feel that way in our families, like we're all slowly strangling each other. you may be emotionally tired and you keep trying other ways to fill it, and remember, the exchange rates on these things are not very good. So if you're trying to soothe your, your exhaustion with alcohol, you're trying to soothe it with shopping, you're trying to soothe it with all of these other ways, then you may be surprised at how little that's going to be effective and how much some things can be effective. Okay, so the next thing that I want to say is this. We all need our own margin to be healthy and fully alive. The problem isn't... That we want more power. The problem is our ways of going about it and our lack of self-constraints in getting it. You're not going to be able to control the fact that everybody else around you wants more power all the time, but you can control how you go about creating an atmosphere where you go. We want families where everybody has margin. And if you have to choose which forms of power to have margin in, that at least everybody is full of connection power. And, and the way that we do that is not about buying all of the other ways that we can transfer or exchange and, and make into connection power. But the way that we do that is actually to let go of most of those other things and to be available for each other. I told you a story in the motives episode about my son, John, breaking a vase and uh, it went something like this. Uh, We came in the house and he climbs up on the cabinet to get a cup out and he knocks a, a vase over that I had just set up the day before with some flowers for Beth and he breaks the vase and it was our best face and I was really annoyed because he shouldn't have been on the cabinet but I was having a particularly relaxed and patient morning, and I want to tell you how this went and where Margin comes into play. He climbs up on the cabinet to get a cup. He knocks the vase off, shatters on the floor. We both do this oh-no thing. And then this morning, this is my highlight reel, by the way, this is not always the case. This morning, we both do the oh-no thing, and then I respond with... Well, it's okay, buddy. And I go over there to start cleaning it up, and I expect him to come with me. But he goes back to the cabinet, and he gets his cup, and it's kind of like it didn't happen. It's kind of like, well, it's okay, daddy. Like a daddy will clean it up. Not, not a big deal, right? Now, stop right there. How often do you see people do that? They cause a mess, they cause trouble, they cause extra work, they cause pain, frustration, and then they blow it off like, oops, oh well, whatever, he'll just take care of it. Now that's a pretty, pretty high level of uh, of ignorance there to whatever's going on if they just are willing to let you take care of the whole thing. That's where my son was at. And see, had I reacted... I could have ruined the whole interaction right there. I could have gone all up. Oh, no, you don't, boy. You're not going over there. <laughs> Get Cup out now after you're causing me this mess. And he would have gone into defense mode. Like that took something from me. Beyond my cleaning it up, it took patience and waiting. It took uh, some some of my margin uh, and my energy away because I had I just wanted to make him pay for the whole thing, I would have bounced it straight back to him right? But but this was a good day. And so my patient self just told him, no, hey buddy, come clean this up with me. Now, if I would have gone into like mommy mode and it would be like, no, I'll just do it for everybody, that's also an emotional shortcut right there because it's saying I don't want to have to actually face my son in an emotional level. I will avoid that and I'll just do the work myself to clean it up, right? But daddy in me wants to like berate him and stuff, but I didn't need to do that. No need to like tag a comment in there or, or just give him some sort of passive aggressive grumbling or whatever because guess what he knew he broke the vase and so I'm like no no no, buddy um, I need you to clean this up with me and so he comes around there and he starts to help me clean it up and here's the next step he starts to try to explain he's like I just knocked it off because I was, I was just trying to I was just trying to get a, a cup out and I was just trying to he was explaining his innocence right How often do you hear us say the phrase, I was just trying to, whenever somebody is upset with us? He was cherry-picking his good motives and sort of brushing over the fact that he wasn't supposed to be on top of the cabinet. And he was right. He just wanted a cup. He was not being a horrible person. He's just being a five year old. But he also knows very well that he's not supposed to climb up on the counter because we use a step stool for that. And he took a shortcut and he brushed over that. Now, I could have accused him here. Oh, yeah, right. You're just going to brush over this, right? You're ignoring what you did wrong. Now, see, we live in a culture of prosecutors and defendants. Like you just watch the news, just listen at work. People are always trying to, aren't they? We're trying to do this, and we're trying to do that. We're trying to, trying to. I've walked alongside marriages with friends through really hard seasons, and I cannot count the number of times each one of them uses the phrase "trying to." So here's John trying to, and he's saying, "Hey, you know, can we just forget about that? I'm a good person, and and that I, I mean, just forget about it because I'm a good person, and 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 I shortcutted it, and that's not a big deal." And I could have said, oh, no, no, uh, you're a good boy. Go play. It's fine. Like typical mom response. Or I could have did the, the dad response that's in me and been like, I don't care what you're trying to do. You didn't listen. I could have been like, John, this stuff always happens. And he would have holed up in his shell, and he would have gone about his business, and I would have shut off the, the interaction right there. Right? That was step two. I could have shut it off right there. If I, I could have forced him to do it, and he would have felt bad about himself, and I would have felt bad about him and myself. But instead, this morning, I gave him a little bit more margin, and I took the long cut. I didn't let him ignore the mess, and I didn't pretend the mess didn't happen, but I invited him into the mess with me, and this is where the magic happens. We sat and cleaned it up together quietly. No accusations, no explanation, no shortcuts, no jumping to conclusions, none of this tense verbal, I know what happened, just a dad and a son in a mess. Now remember, this is my highlight reel, okay? So without saying anything else, he starts to talk about it. He starts to tell me how he felt when he first knocked the vase over. I didn't think he was going to talk about this because I figured he just wanted to sort of cover up and forget about it. But no, 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 no. He wanted to talk about his mistakes because that's the way people are. He said, Dad, I was scared and I thought I was going to be in trouble. Now, I give him some more margin, and I tell him that I understand, and it's okay, and I'm really friendly to him, and I meet him where he's at. And then, like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm just all patting myself on the back because it's Saturday, and I've got all this time, and I'm like, yeah, I'm such a good dad, you know. And then he reverts back for a moment. He has a relapse, so to speak, and he starts telling me, yeah, I was scared, but it's okay, dad. We have other vases, and he starts to make a less of a deal out of it. Now, how annoying is that whenever you have given and given and given to help fix somebody else's mess, and then they go to that stage, and then they start to make less of a deal out of it. So just when I thought he's coming out of the open, right, how, how often do we do this? Somebody's like, oh, no, no, but it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And then and then the temptation is to press in and be like, whoa, whoa, you're going to lessen this? like, no, 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 you caused me all of this energy and pain, and now you're brushing over it again like it's not a big deal. And then we can also be to other people. Like, can't you just handle it? Why do you continue to have to drag me through the mud over this one little mistake that I made? It's not that big of a deal. And it's at this point that we have another chance to break off the connection. Another chance for me to take offense and to try to accuse. Or just to avoid the emotional dragging through all of the mess in order to get to a connection. And I told him, Well, I I really liked that vase, and it's gone. So in a really patient way, non-accusatory, I was just like, you know, the vase isn't here anymore. We can't just like magically snap our fingers and replace it. And I said, well, we'll just have to see if we can find another vase that fits. Now, see, I could have said, "Well, well, it's just not that easy, John. That vase is gone. It's gone, 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 forever gone. Don't do this thing where you pretend like it's no big deal. And it may feel like to me that I'm letting him get away with minimalizing the bigness of what he's done, but he knows what he's done. How many of us get irked when somebody tries to minimalize what they've done? There's this deep need within us to say, like, no, you need to understand how you hurt me, and you're going to have to pay for that loss. And this is the hard thing about our relationships, is we have to go through multiple stages of denial and self-protection for one event where there's a loss that people have to pay for where it gets messy and it is so easy anywhere along the way to take the bait and become an accuser a prosecutor or a defendant where we're just here to protect or just here to get You see how many levels there can be in one little interaction? So at any step along the way, you can derail the whole thing. But that day, I had some extra time and energy and patience, and it wasn't a deal-breaker for me because I had some margin. And then we moved on to the last step, and he said completely on his own, again, out of the quiet, without me asking any questions and without me probing and all that, completely on his own, he said, Um, after we got... The vase back together. He said, You know, I told you all of that stuff at the beginning. I just said those things because I was afraid you were going to spank me. He knew intuitively, and by the way, I was like, I don't even spank this kid. <laughs> like, when's the last time that happened? But he knew intuitively a sense of shame, and he knew that he was even covering up while he did it. But he self confessed. When I gave him lots of margin and we sat in the mess together, he self-confessed his mistake of climbing up on the counter and then even self-confessed the covering up. Now, this is so important. We have given up on most people's ability to self-confess. Humans, though, will do it. We are driven to connect, People will ultimately self-confess and get to the deepest parts of themselves when you sit in a safe space with margin with them. And that is so important in our families. I, I learned this through years in public schools, that kids will almost always self-confess if given the opportunity. Because really, I mean, have you ever met a human that doesn't like to talk about themselves? But they're afraid of something. They're they're afraid that if they go there, that there will be some sort of condemnation, or somebody will get back onto them. But really, they want to talk about themselves. It's everybody's favorite topic. So you're like, if you're like, no, my kid's never gonna self-confess. We'll start now because you've got a long ways to go, but you can get there if you start right now. Your kid will self-confess. Your spouse will get to that point where they start to lay it out, but they haven't had the margin. And it may take a long time. It may even take years. But if you are busy and you're not available to your kid or your spouse or the people closest to you, you will not get there. But if you just sit with them and have fun with them and give them your attention it's called availability you will be amazed at what can grow out of that and the vulnerability that can happen in those moments that wouldn't otherwise happen if you're just too busy your attention is one of the most powerful things that you can give. And having margin there is one of the best areas of our life to have margin. It's really what all the major tech companies and the social media players are fighting for. It's for human attention. It's their currency because they know how valuable it is. So Google, Facebook, Twitter, they all have this big stat that they base everything else off of. It's called time on site and there are hundreds of engineers working together with brain scientists to figure out ways to maximize your time on site Uh, uh, effectively how do we make this more addicting and they've gotten so good at it that Facebook's actually taken some steps backwards because they were clearly seeing a link between their own success and the degradation of our human social construct, our human relationships because here's, here's the way that it usually works. On average We have anywhere from 40 to a couple hundred times a day where we don't have anything to do for just a moment, where we'll have like uh, 10 seconds or a minute and a half or five minutes to just sit and not do anything, the in-between times, in-between all of the activities that we do. You know those minutes of margin that you have in, in your living room, in the dentist waiting room, at the park with your kids before the meeting starts, and what did we used to do with those times and what do we do with them now? On average, we check our phones now between 40 and 150 times a day. You know what we used to do in those times? We used to do small talk and we used to build relationships and and now we'll say things like, well, well I don't have any time left, but you have all of these times throughout the day that you could be given a little margin to someone else even in the form of availability that you're instead choosing to give it to a screen. You know, and you say, well, like, I'm available and nobody else comes to me during those times and I just wasted that time. Well, that's why you should have a lot of margin. M- maybe maybe we're not the only people in the universe and maybe just being available is what we need to do for other people. If there's anything that threatens good parenting and families in this generation it's the lack of availability. If you're not available, people will take the subliminal subconscious cue that they're not a big deal, and they'll just think, oh, well, it's, it's not worth interrupting them for. So if you're pulling out the screen, if you are getting on whatever you're doing and you're constantly filling all of those little time gaps throughout the day, then everybody else around you is going to see nothing but a wall. My kids in school were notorious for this. I would give them instructions for stuff, and of course they're not listening to all of it. And I would say, any questions? And there would be nobody. Silence. I would look around the room. Any questions? Nothing. And then I would say, okay, you can start. And then I would walk around, and immediately, you know what happens? There's questions. Because they didn't want to interrupt me in their real important time. They're like, my question's not really that important. And so they would just wait until uh, I was actually right behind them. They wouldn't even raise their hand and make me walk across the room because they're like, no, that's too big of a deal. My question's not a big deal to make him walk across the room. They didn't even want to bother me that much. And so even whenever I've announced to them that I'm available, it's like, well, but I'm just going to wait till he's right here. All right?" And our spouse And the kids in our house, our kids, everybody around us can feel the same way. They don't really want to compete for your time. And they don't really think that what they have on their mind is that important. But what if it is important? Because that's the thing that actually builds relationships. If I make myself available, then so often my wife will come in and talk to me where she would have just otherwise been like, Oh, no, no, he's busy. Not a big deal. But if we'll carve out some space after school with nothing planned, my kids they'll want to come and play with me. If we will if we will make some space in the in-between times in the car and not automatically pull up the screen or turn on the radio and turn it up really loud, you never know what conversations might come out. And I've heard so many people who are like, um, yeah, but they're such great parents with their kids, and then their kids just turned out to be totally, totally off the rails, totally different. And I'm like, no, 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 they're busy parents. They're really good people. But if you're busy, busy, busy all the time, you know what's not happening there over the course of years? And you can buy 10 or 20 years easily. You know what's happening? not happening there? Connection's not happening there. Something is going off the rails, and it looks like on the surface that everything's great, but they're not doing the thing that actually matters the most, which is connecting with each other in their own household because everybody's always got something to do, and there's no in-between time, and there's no margin. Um, you ever play like dueling screens, or we call it screen chicken, you know, where we both want to talk to the other, but I'm not getting off mine until she gets off hers, and she's not getting off hers until I get off mine, right? Right. Holidays, anybody? How often we travel hours to see the people we love and then we, we just sit in a room with them and then do parallel screens, right? Somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to be available. Somebody's got to put it down. Somebody needs to have the attitude of, of, oh no, I don't have to get anything done right now. I've got extra and I'll spend it just to be available. People will become human In places of margin, you ever had the power go out for a long period of time, and then you're like, "Oh no, what do we do?" You know, it's like the commercials with like 18 minutes without internet. What do we do? And then I've had the power go out a couple of times for like multiple days, you know, and then everybody's out on the street, and we're all sharing stories. And then after a while, like they kick the power back on, and everybody's like, "Oh man, it's like it's like a letdown. We've got to go back." to normal life again. And you've even seen it with like the hurricanes or some sort of big natural catastrophe. Even like, you know, after the loss and aside from all of the hurt and the pain that went into that, just the recovery time, people like band together and they just drop work, they drop school, they drop everything else. And then later, man, later you hear the stories about Oh, it was like, it was so weird because there was a lot of loss, but there was all of this fondness there. And it's almost like we miss going back to that place where we just all, all of a sudden, got to be human together. That's where relationships grow. It's in the place where you weren't expecting it, but you got some margin. Margin is the opposite of scarcity and competition. It's like when somebody is always getting crowded out, that's the world that we live in, but margin is whenever you got more than enough cake for everybody and there's plenty of space on the dance floor. Margin is where you got room to fail, and it's okay when we do. Margin is where we let loose and we take risks, and we're just able to be ourselves. Margin is whenever you can make a bad joke, and it can fall flat, and you're not a horrible person, and you didn't lose all of your friends. Margin is where we're most free to become our truest selves. I want to close out with just a few practical ways. There are hundreds that you can regain some margin in your life, and you've probably already thought about a bunch of them. I want to tell you about some that I'm either implementing or I'm going to implement. Um, The first one is this. It's the most powerful, and it's just simply this. One way, downgrade or simplify your life. The less junk you have and the less it's worth, the less committed you are to having to keep up with it. The less committed you are to having to maintain it all, the less committed you are to worrying that you might lose it, and the more you can say yes to it being broken, to it being messed up, or to just being with people without that stuff in your life. So downgrade or simplify your life, whatever that looks like. That may be a major downgrade for you, maybe like house, car, something like that. You may need to change jobs because there's no way you can have margin with this job. Do it. Uh, Number two, another one, when new ideas pop up, this is totally me, say no to new ideas. You have to, when a new idea pops up, you can either like water it and feed it and continue to like sort of massage it and let that new idea grow in you. And the longer you let it grow, the harder it is to say no to it. So when a new idea pops up and it's not like this awesome idea that has to do with where you're headed in life, judge it quickly and say no. Say no to other people as well. Sometimes that's going to be really, really hard because you're going to say no to somebody with a lot of power. But you know, you're not going to, that's not where you want to head in life. So you say no now so that you can create a life where you can perpetually say yes. I had a friend of mine that did uh, nope-temper. <laughs> the answer is always no, right? Like, I might say yes on October 1st, but not right now. I'm not doing that band concert. I'm not doing that practice. Here's the thing. Don't stop with saying no to other people's requests. Also say no to your own impulses to add junk to your calendar. All right, here's another one. Plan an extra hour before bed in the evenings or after you wake up or or both because humans need a transition on both ends of the day. That's how we're biologically wired to do it. If you go all the way up to bedtime, you're cramming in things and then you just try to turn it off and go to sleep, you're going to lay there for a long time anyways. And in the morning, if you get up and you are like immediately rushing to go do that thing first thing out of bed in the morning, you are going to wear yourself out and eventually you're just going to crash. Uh, another one, budget-free giving money. Like um, we don't know where this is money is going to be given to, but it's okay. We're going to look for a need. Now, most of you or maybe a lot of you budget giving money already and maybe you're giving to a cause regularly and that's awesome. But don't make it so much that you can't give away some free money or have some sort of cause that you can give to on the fly. So like it's the end of the month and you still can't find a place for it, save it for next month or maybe just give it away randomly. You could be amazed at how fun that is. Or maybe if over and over again you keep finding out that you like, you don't, spend any of this free giving money anywhere and it's been several months, go make some friends that have more needs because that might actually uh, translate into something really great in your life. Another one. Pad meeting times or arrival times whenever you go to meet somebody with 20 or 30 minutes on the front end 20, 30 minutes to an hour on the back end if you can do that depending on what your life looks like but tell people you need to leave at 1 o'clock if you really need to leave at one fifteen. but give yourself some time and be realistic about it okay here's another one if you're in a new job negotiating for a salary go 15% over because you probably are going to need it and you're probably worth it and it only is going to confirm to them that you are worth it here's another one this is number seven if you're counting by the way when you're buying a house, when you're making a major move, these can be some of the biggest times, jobs, houses. Come up with a house budget, and then instead of stretching to go under uh, over it, stretch to go under it. Everybody tries to stretch to the next dollar, but our first house, it, it just happened to be this way, and it worked out awesome for us. We had like an eighty thousand dollar budget. That was where we were at, and then we found one for fifty six. And we were like, after we bought it and got into it, that was the best thing for us because we ended up using that extra little wiggle space, and it was so much power for us. Resist the temptation in the moment to go stretch and be house poor. Um, here's another thing, number eight: budget more toward things that matter. They, they, there have been studies that says, you know, we are way more satisfied if we will spend money on a service that saved us time or energy than if we just bought a little trinket or something that we wanted. All right? Spend money on dates. Spend money to build relationships. Find out your friend or your spouse's love language. Get used to the fact that healthy relationships might actually cost you a lot. It may cost you your $2 million retirement portfolio dreams. Okay. Uh, number nine, we have this thing called an annual expenses budget, another financial one. Um, once a year, like expenses like trips, Christmas, birthdays, all of the one-offs that you know are going to come because you've been around the block, house repairs, car tires, whatever, it adds up a bunch. And if you don't have a place in your budget for an annual expense that only comes around once a year or just one-off expenses – Put it in there because it these things will drive you crazy. It's like several hundred a month for us just for this. But we put it in an envelope, and when those things come, we have built-in margin already, and we can absorb it. And then along those lines, another one, this is number 10 if you need to count, um, pay your bills one month ahead. So I know that sounds crazy if you're like constantly running behind, but if you could suck it up one time and get one month ahead on all of your bills – It's amazing, the mental, psychological transformation, because every month, now I get all of these bills uh, that are like, you owe a negative balance of $70, and I cannot tell you the difference that it makes on the pressure of my psyche, because you think about it. You get like 10 notifications a month that say, you owe me, Seth, versus I get 10 notifications every month that says, "Uh, we actually owe you money, Seth. Add that up month after month after month, and that makes a huge difference. Um, So here's another one. Pick your friends and stick with them. This is going to give you so much margin because it takes a ton of effort and energy to make new friends, But if you'll cultivate the friendships that you already have, you'd be amazed at how fruitful your life would be and the lives of the people around you and maybe how much they actually need you and are wanting more of your time and they feel like they can't have it. So you have like 870 Facebook friends or whatever, pick 10. Make them your circle. And if anybody else wants in that circle, you open it up and let them in. But don't go stretching to build another circle out here or try to live your life in 17 different circles. I have tried it and it does not work well live in community have grace and you won't get tired of each other you'll actually grow more fond of each other over time and here's another one and I want to close with this one Um, I'm releasing this around the holiday time make some space this holiday Uh, a lot of ancient religions used to create temples Um, this was a space a physical space where they believed if they created it and they created that negative space inside that, that open room inside, that something divine would come in and live there. And you think about the significance of that. So holiday time, it, it typically is the place where we have the least amount of margin. And that, that's one of the things that if you want to save up money for on your annual expenses, great. Resist the urge to do every holiday party and to do every single thing with every school event with all of your kids and all of that. And leave yourself some space to on the fly do some things around uh, the holidays with people that you love. And then when you're with them, resist the urge to pull out your screens or, or to, to do whatever is nagging at you. So it is at the meeting table uh, before the meeting or the, the living room with your in-laws, the, the space that you've got there. Leave it open like an ancient temple and you'd be amazed at what divine thing can come in and live there and grow there when you create a little holy margin. Because a holy place can be anywhere. If you would put your screen away or put away the thing that you have to do, put your calendar down and be present with the people around you and create a holy margin this holiday, that may grow some more relationships and places that you didn't think were possible to grow. And that's what I'm about to do. So I will see you back after Thanksgiving. I hope it's a great week for you guys. Love you.